0: Thanks for joining us for another great message from Influencers Church Australia. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, blesses you, and brings you joy. For more information about our church, go online to influencers.church. And now for our message.
1: Hey, we're in a series uh, titled Endgame, Game. And um, we're in uh, the second week, which is the last week. And it's the end of End Game. So... Um, I'm going to recap, if you missed last week, I'm going to try to recap in just a couple of minutes what we looked at last week to get us up to speed a little bit of where we left off. And so if you remember last week, I showed you a timeline of biblical events from today uh, to the end of the world as um as the Bible describes it. Now we did say, I want to premise it again, we did say that there are a few different views on this and you might hold a slightly different view but the one that we shared last week is the one that we in our movement traditionally hold to and that's the pre-tribulation uh, view um, but you might hold a slightly different one, maybe mid-tribulation, maybe post-tribulation, maybe uh, you see the events in Revelation as, as more principles of 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 good conquering evil and, and Jesus being in control, but um, this is the one we are looking at. Um, and so if you do hold a different one, that's okay. Uh, we don't need to get upset or, or angry or you know, have an argument with each other because at the end of the day, it doesn't determine your salvation. You don't get to heaven and God says, you chose the wrong one, bad luck, all right? It's, uh, <laughs> salvation comes through putting our faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of our sin, accepting his forgiveness. And, uh, and making him our Lord and Savior, and we will be saved, amen? And that is the most important thing. But it is good to look at these things. So let's have a look uh, at this and see if I can re, uh, what's the, what am I, recap what we did, re-summarize what we did last week. So we said at the beginning there, on the left-hand side of the church, we said that right now we are in the age of the church, where the church is alive and active on the earth, and salvation is freely offered All people, we said at the same time, Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and we said that things will remain that way until a certain biblical event takes place known as the rapture, and that's when Jesus Christ will come back down. Now, He won't come all the way to earth, but He will remain in the clouds, and when He does, the church, the worldwide body of believers, will be raptured up uh, to be with Him. And uh, we, that's where we'll get brand new glorified bodies. We'll look amazing. We'll get all our hair back in Jesus' name, right? And, uh, and we will <laughs> join with our spirit and uh, we will go into heaven to be with Jesus. Now, when we get to heaven, there's two significant events that will take place. The first is the judgment seat. Now, this isn't a judgment for our salvation. This is a judgment. It's called the beamer seat as well. Uh, this is a judgment for how well we carried out the mission that Jesus Christ gave us while we were here on earth. And if we did it well, we will be rewarded accordingly, which is amazing. And then we will move into the marriage supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is an incredible party, a big celebration that God puts on, because finally, Jesus Christ is united with his bride, the church. Now, while that's happening, while we're up in heaven with Jesus, down on the earth, the scene is very different because it is uh, going through a seven-year tribulation. And uh, where the world is in chaos, the church is no longer on the earth. And so, this is the impact and significance the church has right now through its prayer, uh, through its power, uh, through its morals and, and its ideas. It's actually uh, creating, um, if you like, a, a good effect on the earth. But when the church goes, the world starts to fall into chaos, and governments start to crumble, economics uh, starts to fall. There's uh, heightened uh, natural disasters and things, and the world is in chaos and World leaders are looking for an answer. They don't know what to do. And in this tribulation period, uh, a man will step forward with a plan. And he'll have a plan for, to create peace around the world. And he'll be very convincing. And all the world leaders will, uh, well, they'll, they'll uh, it's coming. I don't know what's happening, but sometimes my brain and my mouth don't join together. I don't know why. Um, But they will agree, oh hallelujah, they will agree, I don't think I have said hallelujah for about 20 years, so I don't know where that came from, but they will agree, Uh, they will agree and they will come under uh, this guy's plan, And, and there will be, things will simmer down a little bit, but in three and a half years, so right in the middle of that seven year period. This man will reveal himself as the Antichrist and he'll be, uh, who is uh, fully empowered by Satan and working for Satan. At the same time, another man will uh, reveal himself known as the false prophet. And he too will be empowered by Satan and his entire goal is to get the world to worship the Antichrist. And unfortunately, he will be very good at that and the world will actually build an idol in worship to the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will say through this idol, he'll say you need to worship me, worship this idol, otherwise you will be killed. And Revelation 20 says you may be beheaded. Um, And he also says if you want to buy and sell and trade, you need to take the mark of the beast, a mark on your hand or a mark on your forehead to be able to do that. Now, it sounds very dire, and it is. Uh, Jesus says it's going to be a time in the world that is worse than any other, uh, which is a pretty uh, full-on thought. But at the same time, not all hope is lost because Jesus has 144,000 Jews and two, um, two uh, witnesses that go throughout the earth sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And in that tribulation period, it tells us in Revelation that millions upon millions of people will come to know Jesus, which is amazing, right? Uh, so we said that even when life throws you the worst, there is still hope if you turn to Jesus Christ, amen? So that's a good encouragement. Now at the end of that seven years, um, the Antichrist will um, bring all the, those that are loyal to him and uh, he will uh, wage war on Israel and we'll get the war called Armageddon. But at that time, that is when heaven will split open and Jesus will return to the earth triumphantly. The uh, Revelation says he's riding on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth. He will return with all of uh, heaven's armies and us as well and he will come down and he will capture the Antichrist and the false prophet, and he will throw them into hell, the uh, lake of eternal fire. At the same time, he will destroy everyone who has come against him or been loyal uh, to the antichrist. And he will also bind up Satan. He will chain up Satan for a thousand years, and then we'll go into a time called the millennium, which is a thousand years where Jesus reigns uh, on earth, and uh, and the the Satan's bound up, and so Earth will be almost like it was back in the Garden of Eden, where it's perfect and it's amazing, and uh, it'll, be, it'll be a fantastic time. And then at the end of that 1,000 years, there'll be a last, Satan will be released one last time, and he will um, try one more time to convince all the uh, leaders of the world to come against Israel, And but God will put a quick stop to it. He will come, and he will take Satan, and he too will throw him into the eternal lake of fire with the Antichrist and the false prophet. And at that time, there'll be a judgment of the unrighteous, which is the great white throne judgment. And this is where everyone will stand before God, and he will open up the Lamb's Book of Life, and he'll look to see if your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if it is, you will remain in heaven with Jesus. If it's not, then unfortunately, you too will be thrown into hell with Satan, the false prophet, and the Antichrist. After that period of time, then there'll be the old heaven and the old earth will pass away and a new heaven and a new earth will come. The Bible calls it a new Jerusalem where we will live forever in eternity with Jesus Christ in his presence where there's no pain, no suffering, nothing to worry about and it will be amazing. Amen. Amen. So that's where we got up to last week. I encourage you if you missed it, um, then check it out on uh, our YouTube or a podcast and you'll get all the details in between. But I just wanted to capture us back up to where we left off. And what I thought I would do tonight is I would a- answer a few questions that sometimes come up around this uh, just to help you out, maybe in your conversations or if, if people ask you a question, maybe you've wondered this yourself and touch on a number of questions that come when we look at these end times. So the first question I want to answer is, is the Antichrist among us now? Right? Just keep looking straight ahead. Right? Is the Antichrist among us now? Right? I'm not saying here, obviously. Right? Well, the answer to this is possibly. Possibly. Actually, we tend to think, interestingly, we tend to think that there's only one Antichrist. But the Bible actually suggests something a little bit different. If we go to 1 John 2.18, it says this, it says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. So it seems to suggest over history there's been numbers of Antichrists. Um, it's just that the one we tend to think about is the last one. In Revelation 13, the last. Antichrist. Now, a couple of things about the Antichrist that is interesting. Most likely, he won't be obvious. We might think, oh, the Antichrist, he'll be all dressed in black and he'll have satanic tattoos all over his body. But most likely, he'll just look like anybody else. It's an ordinary person. And most likely, if he is alive today, he won't know that yet that he's the Antichrist. And the reason I say that is because Satan doesn't know when these events are going to occur. Actually, not even Jesus or the angels know, only the Father himself. So because he doesn't know, it could be now, it could be a thousand years from now, it could be 10 years from now, or whatever it might be. But So it's quite possible that who is the Antichrist doesn't quite know yet. Instead, what will probably happen is remember after Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and he fasted and then he was tempted by the devil, but he resisted the devil. Well, whoever the Satan chooses, they probably will be tempted in the same way, but they won't resist the devil. And then they'll be used uh, by Satan for his plan. Um, so just, uh, just, is he possibly? We don't know. Um, here's the second question we wanna answer What will the mark of the beast be? What will the mark of the beast be? I don't know. I really don't know. Now, it's one of the mysteries in Scripture that we just don't know. And many people have tried to work it out. But one of the reasons why it's not very clear in Scripture is because in the book of Revelation, we need to understand that when John is writing the book, he is trying to describe things, items, objects, uh, systems, stuff that's happening many, many years in the future, right? It's been 2,000 years, and yet he's trying to describe those things having only first century objects to do so. Yeah. And so that's why it seems to be quite symbolic and, 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 and uh, um and picturesque, if you like, in the way that it's written because imagine trying to do that. Like he's trying to describe things in the future and he doesn't have the, the, you know, the things to be able to do that properly. And so that's why you know, it's not super clear exactly what it was. And so I don't know what the mark of the beast will look like. There are many uh, people who offer different views about what it could be. But here's a couple of things to consider. Perhaps we could put the, can we put the slide back up that we put at the start? Would that be okay? A couple of things to consider. If we are raptured before the tribulation, then we don't need to worry about the mark of the beast anyway. Because that takes place three and a half years into the tribulation. Secondly, if we are here when it happens, I believe that it's something that you consciously choose, not something that you could be surprised to take. You know, often there's a lot of fear around it, and it's like, you know, did it? If I got, you know, this or that, I might wake up the next day and be like, oh no, I took the mark of the beast. I didn't even realize that I did it, right? But I actually believe it's a conscious decision that you will make. Are you going to choose to take this mark and worship the beast, or are you going to refuse and worship? God, So I don't think it's something we'd be surprised by. I think we are going to consciously know and deliberately choosing to do that. Either way, I want to say this. I don't think it's something we need to fear if we just keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Just keep focusing on Jesus. Keep staying close to him, and then you don't need to fear that at all. Amen? Here's the next question. And I don't like how I worded this. I should have worded this different. It's bad English. But does what is happening in the world right now mean the end is near? I should have said, Is what is happening in the world right right now a sign that the end is near? See, because we see all this stuff going on in the world. We see, you know, uh, wars and pandemics and natural disasters that are taking place. Does this mean that the end is near? Well, maybe, but I'm not sure. Are you appreciating my answers? <laughs> They'll get a bit more concise as we go, right? But I say this because Jesus says something very interesting in Mark chapter 13, verse 7. He says, When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Effectively, he's saying that ru- wars and rumors of wars doesn't necessarily mean it's the end. Uh-huh. Yeah. And if we look back over history, we've seen many wars and many rumors of wars, and yet the end hasn't yet come. True. Now, Jesus goes on to say in the next verse, in Mark 13, verse eight, he says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings. Of birth pains. So Jesus is saying, yes, there'll be wars and there's natural disasters that have been in the past and there probably will be in the future, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they will bring about the end. Instead, they are the beginning of birth pains. In other words, there may still be an extended period of time before the end comes. Remember, we said last week, uh, we looked at 2 Peter 3, verse 8, it says, a day. Is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Yeah. And so God's timing is a little bit different to ours. So each generation will have its own wars and natural disasters, and so it, it is difficult. And this is why I say maybe it is difficult to say that those things necessarily mean that the end is near. Instead, we also have to look at other prophetic Events that the Bible speaks about, and to give us a clearer picture of whether we're getting closer, and a number of those prophetic events have taken place. I know this at least that by the end of today, we are one day closer. Fair enough. (laughs) Each day, we're one day closer, I can tell you that for sure. All right, here's my next question. Is there a final chance to be saved? I'm at the great white throne judgment. God opens up the Lamb's Book of Life. My name isn't in there. Is there an opportunity in that moment for me to go, I'm so sorry, Jesus. I know that you're real now. I give my life to you. I don't wanna go to hell. I wanna go to heaven to live with you forever. I want to say with everything that is in me, I wish that there was. But again, from what I can tell from Scripture, there's no evidence to say that there is another chance. Instead, what we read in Scripture, it says in Hebrews 9.27, it says, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Probably the best way to think about it is to think about it this way. There are a thousand chances to be saved before death, but there doesn't seem to be any after. And so it's really important that we share this message while the opportunity is there. Amen. So that brings me to my next question, and this is a heavy one. Well, then how can a loving God send people to hell? How can a loving God send people to hell? I mean, we talk about how loving and gracious and amazing God is. How can He send people to hell? Well, first of all, I think it's important to know that God never created hell for human beings. Instead, hell was prepared for Satan and his fallen angels. And it says this in Matthew 25, verse 41. It says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, being hell, prepared for the devil and his angels. So it was never God's intention for people to have to go to hell. In fact, if you think about it, he has done absolutely everything possible so that no one ever has to. John 3.16 We know it well. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God sacrificed His one and only Son and Jesus willingly laid His life down. Died in our place. Paid the penalty for us when we could not help ourselves. He gave his entire life so that no one ever has to experience hell. Yeah. But for those who reject Christ, and I want to be sensitive when I say this, but ultimately for those who make a choice to say, I don't want to know God, I don't want to be in a relationship with God, I don't want to be in his presence. Essentially, the only place they can go after they die is hell because that's the only place that is void of His presence. I don't want to be in the presence of God. Well, unfortunately, that's the only place. And this is why hell is so devastating because there's no sense of God's presence there. Now, think about this for a moment. We... As we've worshipped tonight, we've been in the presence of God. It's amazing. But do you understand that every single person that lives on the earth is in the presence of God? Because God is omnipresent. So whether you know Him or not, you may not be aware of it, but His presence is all around us. But hell is a place where, void of His presence. I don't know how that works, but that is why it is so devastating and so despairing. on top of this, you have to remember that God is righteous. Which means that as much as he would want to overlook sin, as much as his heart would be like, I wish I could just overlook that and say, don't worry about it, come on in. But because of his righteousness, someone has to pay the penalty for that sin. Someone has to die. And so a person can either accept Christ's payment or they have to pay it themselves. Now you might say, but what about those who have never heard about Jesus? What if they've never heard about Jesus? I mean, that's that's pretty unfair, isn't it? Well, interestingly, Romans 1 verse 20, it says this. It says, since earliest times men have seen the earth and sky and all God made, And have known of his existence and great eternal power. So they will have no excuse when they stand before God at Judgment Day. And effectively, what this passage is saying is that even if you haven't heard about God, when you look at creation, intrinsically, you know, there's something behind that. There must be a creator behind that, and just understanding that should draw you towards wanting to seek him. Out. But here's what I want to say This is where We really need to trust God's perfect judgment yeah. And why I'm thankful that none of us yeah. Are the ones that have to make the decision yeah. And here's what I want you to know And this is very very important God is not looking for a reason To punish someone He is looking for for any possible opportunity to save someone. And that is very important. When they stand there at the great white throne judgment, he is looking for any possible reason to say. He's not standing there with a list hoping to put marks against your name. He's hoping to say, yes, yes, there is a speck of faith in that person so I can save them and bring them home to me. That is his heart. That is his desire. If he can rescue them, he will. He will do it. You know, you just remember the thief on the cross. He's hanging there. And, no, you know, he'd lived a bad life. And right in his last breath, he turns to Jesus and he just says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turns to him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Yeah. One phrase. Yeah. One phrase is all it took. And his life was saved. He gets to live in heaven. This is, see, the thing about God's grace is it's far beyond what we can comprehend. Yeah. It, it's greater than we think. You see, we look at the outside, God looks at the heart, and you never quite know what's in a person's heart, but God does. God does. And if there is even a little bit of faith, if there is enough that qualifies his judgment, he will save them. I remember years and years ago, it stuck with me. And I remember Pastor Greg preaching in Bible college. And I apologize, Pastor Greg, if I butcher this, what you said. (laughs) Remember, I'm pretty sure you can tell me afterwards. Um, But he said there's three types of people. There are those that are obviously saved, There are those that are obviously unsaved. And then there's a whole heap of people in the middle that we just don't know. And I'm hoping there's a whole lot more people in heaven than we might think. Because that's how much God desires to save people. If you don't wanna go to hell, you don't have to. And maybe you're in this place and you don't know Jesus Christ. Before you leave today, I wanna give you an opportunity to pray a prayer so you never have to worry about going there ever. You can have a hope and peace in your life to know that you're gonna go to heaven forever. Here's the final question I wanna answer tonight. And this is where I wanna round out this series. Why would God not tell us the date or the hour? Why would God give us so much information about what's gonna happen in the end but not tell us when it's going to happen? Why doesn't he tell us the day or the hour? You know, there's 260 chapters in the New Testament And within those 260 chapters, Christ's return is mentioned no less than 318 times. That's one in every 25 verses of the New Testament. Christ's return is mentioned. That's amazing. Yet as much as it is mentioned, as much information as we're given in the Scripture, we are not given the one piece of information that we desire the most. When is it happening? What is the day? And the hour that Christ is actually coming. Nowhere in the Bible we are told this. It's kept completely hidden from us. And like I said before, not even the angels or the Son Himself knows. It says in Matthew 24, 26, referring to the return of Christ, it says, however, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son Himself. Only the Father Knows. This means you could spend a lifetime studying the Scriptures. And many people have tried and, and tried to predict the date that it's going to occur, but no one has got it right. Like I said to you last week, if you want to have a crack at it, I would pick something a thousand years into the future. That way you're not here to have to give an account for it when you get it wrong. And Jesus will probably come back then and no one cares. But it's kept hidden from us. Why? I mean, Just give us that one piece of information. In fact, the Bible suggests that it's so hidden from us that Jesus will come like a thief in the night. When we least expect it, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2, for you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the return of the Lord will come as unexpectedly and suddenly as a thief in the night. He could come back at any moment and probably when we least expect it. So the question is, why? Why does God keep that piece of information hidden from us? Because if He just told us when He was coming back, you know, we could prepare. We could get things together. It would be so much easier, wouldn't it? Well, here's why. Let let me ask you a question. You ever... If you've studied in school, university or something like that and you were given an assignment and that assignment was given a due date, how many of you left till the last day or two before you started that assignment? Probably most of us, right? We put it off as far as possible until we're under the pressure of the deadline and we're motivated and we're like, all right, I suppose I'll be cracking on this thing. Well, this is why I believe that God didn't give us the day or the hour Because he knew in our human nature, we would do the same thing with our God-given assignment. If he'd given us the date, most likely we would just sit around until about a month before or a few weeks before, and then we'd run around trying to get things in order, trying to share the good news because Jesus is coming back. And we'd waste so much time. You see, God didn't tell us because he doesn't want us to be complacent. He wants us to think it could happen at any moment. He wants us to live each day with an urgency in our spirit that we've got to live on purpose, live on mission. I'm going to take the most of every opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ while the opportunity still exists. Church, when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus with our family, our friends, our schoolmates, our work friends, Universities, our communities, we, we, we need to be on mission. We need to have an urgency in our spirit. Why the door is still open? Why the opportunities still come? Why salvation is still offered freely? We've got to live on purpose each and every day. This is not a time for us to settle. This is not a time for us to shrink back or go into a state of apathy, but rather we need to challenge ourselves, just like Christ did to live each day on mission. Now you might say, but come on, Tony, I mean, it doesn't really seem like God is being that urgent. Why do we need to have an urgency in our spirit? I mean, he's been waiting like 2,000 years. It's not like he's moving quickly. Well, before we conclude that, Let me look at a verse in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. It says this, speaking about Christ's return, it says, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. In the message version, let me read the message version. It says this, He is restraining himself on account of you. Holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. The reason Christ hasn't come back yet isn't because he's being slow. It's because he's exercising extreme patience. God actually wants Christ to come back right now. He doesn't want this pain and suffering to continue. He wants to end it ASAP, but at the same time, he doesn't want anyone to miss out. So he is restraining, holding back the end so as many people as possible have the opportunity to encounter His love and His grace. That is amazing. How many people are thankful that God waited? How many people are thankful that He held back the end so you had an opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ? This is how much He loves Every single person. This is why we need to partner with Him and adopt a state of urgency in our spirit. We can't just sit on our hands, but we've got to share His love with as many as possible because any moment God could choose to end it, an opportunity to tell others about the hope we've found in Jesus will no longer be there. So you have to live each day on mission. Yeah. A few years ago, my, uh, my kids were out in the backyard and they were just playing and, and uh, they were playing on the swing and my daughter was uh, lying face down on the swing and she's swinging back and forth and it went up really high and she slid off and she smacked her face right on the concrete. And I was in the kitchen and I just hear this scream and uh, as a parent, it's one of those screams, you know, this is not gonna be good. I race out the backyard and I see her and uh, she's just like tears running down her face, um, nose is bleeding and her nose is just, like smashed across her face sort of thing. And I just start to panic. I just like, I just go into like, urgent mode. (laughs) I just grab my son, I grab her, I get get a cold pack out of the fridge, put it on her nose, and I just race to the hospital, and I get her to the hospital, and and I get her into the emergency room there, and they take her in, and they make sure she's all good, and and, and, you know, thankfully, she's all right, and they all fixed up, and, and, and nothing was broken, and it was all good. But I tell you this story because It seems like an isolated incident, but the truth is that all of us have people around us that are hurting, people that are lonely, people that are lost, people that feel there's no hope. And just like I had an urgency in my spirit that day to get my daughter to hospital, to get her to somebody who could help her, we need the same urgency to get those around us to someone who can help them, someone who can change their life forever. Someone can give them a hope and a peace like they couldn't find anywhere else. It's gotta be in our spirit where we look at people that are lost and our heart breaks and we see them hurting. We're saying, let me point you to Jesus. Let me bring you to a place where you can connect with someone who can change your life, who can fill you with a sense of love and grace and goodness like you can't find anywhere else. people's eternities are dependent upon it. It's the truth, people's eternities. Like Gillian said, tonight, you know, when you think about eternity, something is that way forever. It it doesn't change. When you leave this earth, when you pass away, you're gonna go to one of two places, either heaven or hell. And where you end up, That will be where you are forever. That's a a big, heavy thing to comprehend. But that's why we have the opportunity right now to share the love of Jesus so that no one ever has to be overwhelmed by that. Everyone can go, yeah, that was my future, but it is no longer because I know where I'm going now. I know my eternity is secure. I can have peace no matter how difficult the world gets in the end. I know where I'm going, so I still have joy in my heart. I still have a celebration because my Savior paid the price, won it all for me, and I'm gonna live forever in heaven with him. And you know what happens when you know Jesus? Death is no longer scary because it's not the end. It's just a transition to an even better place. Yeah. To be in the presence of our Savior forever, worshiping Him in peace and joy and life. It's amazing. It's, it's hard to comprehend. Let's be honest. It, it's, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It's hard to comprehend. But this, I'm glad I serve a God that I can't fully understand. Yeah. Who's too big for me but who's full of amazing love and
0: grace. I pray this sermon has blessed you, encouraged you and inspired you. You know, we may never have met, I may not know you, but God knows you. And I'll tell you today, God loves you. That even before you knew about him, he loved you and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know, so many of us do life on our own, trying to I'm so glad you prayed that prayer today. I believe that as you did, the peace, the grace and the love of God comes into your life. You know what? The past is real, but it doesn't have to dictate your future. Let the love, the grace and the word of God go with you from this day forward. And I believe the best days are ahead for you. If you prayed this prayer or you want to know more, maybe you're on the journey. Why don't you flick us an email so we can send you some material about following Jesus. We can maybe connect you with a local church near you that you can do life with, get good people around you, and we would love to pray with you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I'm so glad you're on the journey. Of following Jesus. I'm so glad you listened today. God bless.